Jatoeta Nakita Koroff here, and you are watching WCWA Network. Stay tuned. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the WZWA Network podcast. I am your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury. It is great to be with you all here tonight. It is a hot, hot day here in Perth, Western Australia. I think at one point it hit 42 degrees Celsius. Extremely hot day. It was disgusting. And I'm wearing a singlet. I've got a cold beer. I need it. And I need at this time to introduce my broadcast colleague here today the one and only juicy boy daniel johnston dj how are you my friend good evening my friend i am i'm great i'm very excited i could not be more thrilled to be talking to a legend uh like this man right here and i leave it to you to do the proper introductions I have to do it, man. I have to do this. There's so many things I've got to say, but he's a former NWA television champion, national heavyweight champion, six-man tag team champion, tag team champion, United States champion. I could keep going on and on and on. He's also a champion of life. He's the one and only Russian nightmare, Nikita Koloff. Nikita, how are you, mate? Well, guys, great to be with you. Man, 40, 47, wow, it is hot. It's not hot here in the Carolinas. It, I got a t-shirt on, but not because it's hot, but because I'm inside. Um, <laughs> they're actually anticipating, expecting snow this afternoon, believe it or not, uh, here in the Carolinas. So, so uh, it, I, I love technology. I love the opportunity to just connect with you guys in Australia Never been down down under yet, but I'm looking forward to one day coming your way. So great to be with you guys. It's an honor to be here. Well, thank you very much, sir, for being with us. And yeah, it is a hot day. If you cracked an egg on the pavement, it would explode into flames, I'm telling you. Wow. <laughs> Um, so Nikita, I want to start things off talking a little bit about Minnesota. It has such a rich history of big men pro wrestlers seeing a lot of success. I know you met one road warrior animal back then who convinced you to get into the business. Uh, what were some of the biggest hardships you earned during, you know, endured, sorry, during those early days in the business? You know, it, uh, you know, I get a lot of questions, get a lot of questions about, you know, what, what was up there in the water in Minnesota, right? To, to have so many guys. I mean, it, it became in a, kind of like a, a mecca of pro wrestling. Of course, you know, going back in the day, Vern Gagne, the AWA, was headquartered in Minneapolis. And, and I don't know that, that that had a lot to do with some of the guys coming out of there. I mean, certainly uh, Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning, you know, his dad, Larry the Axe Henning, wrestled for the AWA, wrestled for many years. Kurt and I went to high school together, played high school football. Now, we, we played a different kind of football than you guys play. Uh, <laughs> but we played, uh, we played football together. And, and, and for whatever reason, so many guys from, from that Minneapolis, St. Paul area uh, just, just jumped into the world of professional wrestling. For me personally, it, it wasn't really on my radar. It wasn't something, you know, as a, as a kid growing up that I was like, oh, I, I want to do that one day. You know, that a, a lot of guys have that story and, and that was their dream. For me, it was, uh, it was, it was, uh, my sights were set on professional football, but I recruited Animal, Road Warrior Animal out of Irondale High School to play college football with me. And then later on, as the story goes, in a sense, he recruited me into professional wrestling with, with no training, no professional training, no camps, uh, no, no amateur background. So no amateur wrestling. And, and yet, uh, you know, five minute phone call to Jim Crockett, the, uh, the, the promoter in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the next thing you know, uh, I have a date, uh, one to be in his office and, and, and the career is launched. That's amazing. Fascinating. <laughs> Over to you, DJ. 
Yeah, well, it's interesting. That answer that you just gave there kind of uh, segues very nicely into my next question, because, you know, for, considering that you weren't someone that grew up having kind of that passion for professional wrestling as a kid, you're really well known for being extremely committed to keeping in character at all times, even for the standards of the time. Uh, some people thought, you know, Nikita is really the real deal and he, he goes the extra mile. Was there any one particular person who during your experiences learning the ropes kind of drummed the importance of staying in character to you? Or was it just something that you kind of instinctively understood to do? It's really a great question. Um, you know, I just, uh, I just, I recently launched, launched a podcast called It's Time to Man Up and, and I'm launching a, another uh, show along with that called Questions and Answers with Koloff. And I did some interviews just yesterday with, uh, with a gal uh, out of uh, Virginia, who who shared with me that it really wasn't until after I left wrestling that she even realized I wasn't really from Russia. <laughs> and, and quite complimentary on her part, she goes, "You you really you sold me." And of course, a lot of other people, you know, when I first time I heard you speak without you know the accent, Nucky Dakolov, gentlemen, right? She goes, "It just like blew me away." I'm like, "What?" wait a minute, what, what? And so I instinctively on my own made a decision that if I was gonna get this character over uh, of certain things that I, I needed to do. Uh, one was, uh, and part of the story was I didn't speak any English those first few months. And so you, you wouldn't see me on any interview, you see me on interviews standing with Ivan Koloff and Don Kernodal, they're the world tag champions. You know, I'd stand there with my shirt off, my arms folded, you know, chains around my neck and, you know, just basically looking mean. And then I was going out killing guys every night in a ring. And, and, and over the course of those six months, I explained to all of your listeners, as I explained to her, you know, I began to develop, because uh, her question was, how long did it take you to master that, that voice, right? And, and, and over the course of about six months, I got a Russian back in those days. It was called a cassette tape for those who might not even know what that is. Um, but uh, I got a Russian cassette tape, a workbook. and began to study some of the, the Russian words. I learned to sign my name in Russian. I, I put a, a few words, you know, you know, please. Dia means uncle in, in Russian, you know. You know, so I, I learned to count to 10 in Russian. So uh, I put a few things together that would convince the viewer, this guy's the real deal. This guy's really from Russia. And, and so that was just something, guys, that I determined on my own to do uh, in order to get the character over. And, and it apparently paid off because yeah. years and years later, even, even recently, People are still flabbergasted when they hear me speak like this and not speak with the accent. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really was just a remarkable achievement to kind of get the character over the way you got it. I remember it even, even for an avid fan like myself, it was actually a long time before even I figured out that you weren't really from Russia. So, I mean, just, yeah, I've always really admired that about the character. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I, and I carry that, and, and, you know, being, being schooled by Ivan Koloff, you know, old school wrestler and Don Kernodal, and then around other guys like, you know, Dusty Rhodes and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and, you know, some of the legendary really old school guys. I, I also developed, you know, if you want to say that mentality of protecting the business as well, right? So not just protecting my character, but protecting the wrestling business, the, the believability that wrestling was, was real. And, and so on that note, it was three years after I, I made a decision under my own terms to walk away from wrestling. I still carried that persona, the accent, protected the character and the business for three years after leaving wrestling. So oh it's crazy as that sounds. <laughs> yeah. that's incredible i i really i i too really appreciate the fact that you just went 
balls to the wall with that. And and I know, look, it's, it's 2021. The cat is out of the bag now. But I really do wish that some uh, performers still in the industry today would uh, go to those lengths because I still remember a few years ago when Matt Hardy was doing some crazy stuff. I thought to myself, hmm, I think Matt's might might have uh, gone a little bit crazy here, but he really was just uh, it, it's so in depth into his character, and I think that's why it really worked for so long. Um, but uh, I wanted to keep uh, on this route where we're going with uh, you staying in character. And I, I found it really funny, something Jim Cornette mentioned that even when you're on the planes and it was just you and the boys, there were no fans, there was no, no one in sight other than just the boys, you still kept the accent. Uh, and he had mentioned that something, I think it was like Arn Anderson or someone jokingly said to you, you know, damn it, like, you're only around the boys. We know you're Scott Simpson from Minnesota. <laughs> you don't have to keep up this this thing, but you still wouldn't. Is it true that you still wouldn't uh, break that character even around the guys? Well, I I mean I w I wouldn't say a hundred percent of the time, but but I felt like and you know early on, especially you know with, with I didn't know how you know I didn't know how smart the pilots were. We had private planes uh, at times too. Obviously, if it was a commercial plane, you know, there's there's people around anywhere in public. You know, I was I was 100% going to protect the character. A, a, a funny story, Johnny B. Bad. Remember that that name? Yes. Mark yes. Merrill, yeah, Johnny Mark B. Merrill. Bad. Uh, I, I, I learned from him recently. I, I didn't know this. We were doing an autograph signing maybe a couple, couple of years ago or something together. Or we, we were together. He said, I got to tell you this story. And I'm like, he goes, Man, when I first came into the Carolinas, I'm in the dressing room. And, and first of all, he goes, I was scared to death of you. <laughs> he goes, uh, and, I'm, and I'm one of the boys. And I'm like, man, this guy's like scared. And, and he goes, but the other part that, that stood out was we're in the dressing room and you're in character. You're, you're talking with an accent. And kind of like to Cornette's point, he's like, does he not know that like we're all like smart you know, <laughs> business here? What you know, what's the deal? But again, for for me, it was just kind of a, a mindset. I'd get in that role, and 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 I never knew if maybe a security guard or somebody was gonna walk into the dressing room. And, and again, I was schooled to protect the business at all costs. And so even if there was security guards around or or whatever, so you know, whether Perhaps on the airplane, perhaps in the dressing rooms. I wouldn't say a hundred percent of the time, but I, uh, I, I did protect the care. Yeah, awesome, man. Just, awesome. just, just amazing. Um, <clears throat> I mean, for me, my introduction to the Koloffs and my kind of uh, fandom of of your work, really, for me, um, you know, it's 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 all about the the. Uh, <clears throat> Excuse me, getting a little tongue-tied. Yes, um, the Russian chain matches that you guys had with the Road Warriors. Um, that's probably the feud and the, the the rivalry that I kind of knew you guys the best from and sort of started really getting into actually the NWA product because obviously it was, was before my time, most of it. Um, and I was wondering if you'd be able to tell us just a bit about the experience of working those Russian chain matches um, with the Road Warriors and... Um, was there anyone in particular that was particularly memorable or particularly special? Yeah, I mean, well, the chain match in itself is is memorable. Um, yeah. You know, it, and it's funny because you know, for the listener, the viewer, I mean, they're they're real chains. You know, they're, they're, it's not it wasn't Hollywood, so you know, what wasn't plastic. They were real chains. And, and it was a match that Ivan Ivan Koloff, I, I think, originally developed, you know, as the Russian bear and, and the Russian chain match, right? So it was kind of our, our specialty match. And whether it was uh, certainly in a tag team like that, that was more challenging even than in a single match. And, and, and by that, I mean, you know, getting crossed up with the chains or, you know, going from one guy to the next. So you had to really kind of pay attention to what you were doing. And, and you know, the chain, even if, as, as best as you try to roll it around your hand or around your fist, you know, it's a chain. Yeah. So there's going to be 
loose links flying around. So you're throwing a punch at a guy in the, in the jaw or something. I can, I can tell you for, for certain when I, when I left wrestling, I had a number of different uh, chipped teeth from where that chain would, you know, cause the, 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 the seal of the chain only has to touch the enamel of your teeth, your tooth, and it'll, it'll chip the tooth like that. And so there were some chipped teeth I had to get repaired, you know, at, at, you know, upon retirement and, you know, and then sometimes we'd wrap the, the chain around, you know, the guy's mouth, yeah. you know, in his mouth or whatever. Uh, recently, I, I interviewed uh, Sting for my podcast, and we were talking about a match I had, a single match I had against him in Chicago when I wrapped it around his neck, and and I, I threw him over the top rope like I was hanging him. Yeah. And, and I, I literally, I guess I was, I didn't realize it. He was selling the chain. And he was trying to get his fingers in, but it was the more he moved around, the more it cinched up on his neck and was cutting off his airway. Wow. And, and it was, it was, I was about, you know, uh, that close to, you know, within a, a second, a second or two, he's a, a pass it out. And so you had to really know what you were doing with the chain in those chain matches. Certainly the road warriors, you know, a couple, a couple brutal got right. 300 pound animal, 270 pound Hawk. You know, you really had to know what you were doing with those chains. And, and so I wouldn't say any one particular match was memorable. Uh, I, I would say all the matches against those guys with or without chains were memorable. So, yeah, I mean, cause, cause I remember when I, when I first actually just heard about the, the concept of the Russian chain match. And then I, I think I was reading an article about your career at that point, and I scrolled a little bit further down, and it said they had a series of chain matches with the Road Warriors. I remember thinking, as if the chain wasn't bad enough, now we're throwing the Road Warriors into the mix. That's, <laughs> yes, that's, exactly. That's, a, that's, exactly that's, a, right. that's a rough that's a night at the office. on your part. Yeah. <laughs> that's such a great point, dude. <laughs> yeah. I, I never, hey, I never thought about it that way before, but you're absolutely right. It, the chain was dangerous enough, and then you had on top of that the, the dangerous road work. That's, right. That's good. Uh, good point, DJ. Good yeah. point. Um, speaking of memorable, obviously, Ivan Koloff, uh, what a legend this man is. Uh, he beat Bruno Sammartino for the WWF championship. Uh, you know, no one can dispute the, the the legend that is Ivan Koloff. I want to know if you could tell any fun stories or, or any road stories that you have to, that you can share about the times that you spent with Ivan. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm totally grateful to, to Ivan. You know, again, he taught me all the basics, him and Don Cronodal, all the basics of wrestling. And, and I mean, you know, early on, I said I, I, I came into Charlotte, North Carolina with, with no experience, right? None. Z zero. No, no experience. And, and yet, you know, these guys embraced me, um, gave me a chance. That's why I've been really honestly so loyal to the NWA all these years later, you know, because Jim Crockett and the NWA gave me my opportunity uh, to have the career that I had. So I'm forever grateful to Jim Crockett. David Crockett, Jackie Francis, the whole Crockett family, uh, and and Ivan and Don. I mean, what 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 we did then was, you know, that first day I walked in, they they literally you know put me on an interview set with those guys, and then said, "Be in Dorton Arena, you know, Raleigh, North Carolina tomorrow night. You're going to wrestle on television." <laughs> I, I I'd never been on TV, let alone I'd never been in a ring wrestling ring, let alone on television. And so that was my, my debut and, and we, we didn't have any, we got to the, the arena late. So they showed me a couple basic things in the dressing room, but, and then fortunately I only had a, an 11 second match. That's how long that <laughs> match lasted uh, any longer than that. And I might've blown it, but 11 seconds. And what we did though, for the next two or three months is we, Don and Ivan and I would get to the towns early two three hours early and they they bump all over the ring showing me the mechanics of wrestling yeah ivan was sitting in my corner uncle ivan yeah yeah was sit in my <laughs> corner watch my very short match i'd sit in their corner 
watch their tag team, their world, you know, they're usually defended the world tag titles, watch their match. And then on the drive home every night, we talk about the psychology of wrestling. So the mechanics before, the psychology after, and, and that's how I, if you, I guess, pun intended, that's how I learned the ropes of wrestling. And, and, and probably one fun story I'll, I'll, I remember about Ivan, man, he was a machine. I mean, a machine, no matter, you know, I, I mean, he, he would be in the dressing room doing, doing air squats, doing push-ups, doing crunches, you know, before a match, after a match, you know, he's, he always wanted to keep himself in shape and work out. And there were times I'd look at him and go, Ivan, please stop. You're making me tired. I, I, <laughs> I want to keep my energy for the match, you know, or, or we'd be at a hotel and didn't have access to a gym and, I'd find him running up and down seven flights of stairs in the emergency <laughs> exit of the hotel. But I remember Crazy. one night we were driving back from, from West Virginia and we were going through these mountains and, and it, this area is known to have a lot of fog, a lot of really thick fog. And he's driving, I, I'm sitting in the, in the passenger seat and I'm looking out the window, and I'm telling you, it was one of those white knuckle, hold on to the dashboard. He's driving, you know, 70 miles an hour down this mountain pass. You can't see the, you literally can't see the 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 dashed lines on on the on the interstate. I mean, the 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 fog is so thick. And I'm looking over at him, and and he's so tight, he's barely awake. I mean, his eyes are like a slit. I'm like. I'm like, Ivan, you okay? I, I can drive. I'll, I'll be happy to drive. <laughs> you want to pull over? I'll be glad to switch with you. I mean, I, I legitimately was like, man, I don't know we're going to make it off this mountain. He's like, no, no, Nikki. I'm good. He always called me Nikki. He goes, no, Nikki. I'm good, Nikki. I'm good. I'm like, dude, keep your eyes on the road. Don't look at me. And, and we drove through that. We made, obviously, we made it out of the mountain. We made it down the mountain. We made it home. But man, for a moment there, I have my life flash before me, like we're, we're not. Getting, but that, but the point is, he was just a machine, man. He was just, he was determined to drive us home and get us home, no matter what. And he was like that in the ring, outside the ring, whether behind the wheel of a car, in a hotel, wherever we were at. He, he was amazing, and, and so much credit to my career goes to Ivan Kolov and Don Cronulla. Absolutely. Yeah. Such a, it's such a, a massive sign of respect. The fact that he gave you his surname, that's like, he's, he's putting yes. it right there for you. You know, you better, you better uh, make good of this one. And you certainly did. Yeah, no, for, for, for real. And, and in fact, I'm, you know, I'm in the process of, of really kind of carrying that on with, with, with a couple guys. Uh, you know, we've told a little bit of this story and, and we'll see how this unfolds. But uh, two, two guys I've, I've deemed Alexander Koloff and Neil Koloff and stepping into, you know, if you want to say kind of a coaching management role awesome. of these two guys in and out of business. So I'm not really kind of mentoring them. They already have a stellar career in the independent circuit, but I'm just trying to help them finish their career and, and had enough respect for what they've done in the ring and, and with Renee Koloff's blessing, you know, be able to pass on that surname to, to these guys and carry on the Koloff legacy through 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 the tag team Koloff dynasty. So to that point. Oh, that's a great thing that you're doing, bro. Absolutely. Um, over to you, DJ. Um, yeah, this is one thing I've been really excited to ask. Um, I would like to hear about some of your experiences working in Puerto Rico in the 1980s, because... Those Puerto Rican crowds, they're notorious for being <laughs> being wild, crazy crowds, very different from the American audiences. I imagine that when when this uh, crazy Russian bad guy showed up, they just loved you. So I'd love to hear any stories you can tell me about your time in Puerto Rico. Sure. I, I, it's funny you bring that up. I was just telling the Puerto Rico stories a couple days ago to, to a couple of my friends, and... It, yeah, I mean, you are spot on. They're wild and crazy fan, and it was a whole different atmosphere. A, a couple of memories that come back, 
especially if you're the bad guy or like you said, the big bad Russian coming into town. And I was wrestling her, a guy named Hercules, Hercules Ayala, like their, their big strong man, their big heavyweight strong man. Yeah, and, and a couple, a couple memories, um, I, you know, they, they escorted us to the arena in like a, I guess what you might call a work van. I mean, a van that had like no windows on it, right? I mean, they crammed us all into this van knowing that the fans were going to be pretty aggressive outside the stadium. And I remember all you could see was outside the, the, the front windshield, really, because we're all in the back. And, and they literally had to have guards with AK-47s trying to get the crowd back to get the van through the crowd, at least get us to the stadium to get us into the locker room. So that was, that was, <laughs> and that's before, the, and that's before uh, the show, that's before the shows even started. <laughs> that was just to get to the stadium. <laughs> they, knew, they knew the bad guys were in that van. And, and you know the, the van be rocking a little bit, you know, and and inching its way through the crowd, and we eventually get there. Well, then, uh, then I didn't realize, you know, we got word that you know all these kids sell bags of rocks outside of, outside the stadium. <laughs> all the bad guys would, you know. Then, you know, you, you guys are familiar with cage matches. Well, I, I wasn't in a cage match, but I was in a cage. All right, here's what I mean by that. They had cages lined up all the way down the walkway and all the way around the ring, again, to keep the fans out so we could actually have a match without being attacked, right? Oh, my gosh. And, and so that I have that memory. And then uh, a couple of just real quick, a couple of others. I, I was one, we were, we were in, in an indoor show. And they have, they have all the fans, again, they have all the fans kind of back. They only had a certain amount around the ring, ring seats. They had the rest of them up in like balcony seats. I later found out, I didn't know this at the time, but until after the fact, that somebody had thrown like a, an empty whiskey bottle trying to hit me. Unfortunately, they hit a little boy in the front row and, and, hit, and cut open his knee, unfortunately. But it was intended for me. And then in one of the other indoor shows, walk into the ring, and, and all of a sudden I, I get I feel this like on the back of my arm. I'm like, ow, that hurt. And and I grab my arm and and, and I got blood on my hand. I look down and somebody hit me with a spark plug. Oh, jeez. <laughs> of all things, that's that's so, insane. So that that and I was like, man, if I never go back to Puerto Rico again, I, I'm I'm happy. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, talk about heat though. You know, like, uh, yeah, yeah, they, they loved to hate me there and all across America and all and around the world. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I guess they didn't have security check anyone for uh, <laughs> contraband on the way. <laughs> Not in Puerto Rico, bro. The security guards probably sold them the spark. <laughs> um, so, speaking of fans, uh, I wanted to ask you uh, over your your legendary career, obviously you're on television, you're a very well-known person. Do you have any stories of any odd interactions with fans? Well, um, I, ha I had, again, if we're, if, now this is prior to, to flipping right to the other side, and, and, but we'll stay in the vein of, of, of being one of the most hated and, and at one point in the magazines, the number one most hated guy in wrestling. So we, we, we did get, we know there, there were death threats to the called into the Crockett office. Oh my gosh. Um, so there were death threats. Uh, I did have six different matches. Uh, the, the very first one being the, the first uh, great American bash against Ric Flair for the world heavyweight title. Uh, that's actually, there's some, there are clips floating around out there where you'll actually see the fan got over the barricade into the ring, actually got a hold of me. Which, which, you know, I, I'm in the ring, and, and I'm like, all right, Flair's down selling on the mat. Ivan's down on the, on, on the ground. David Crockett, special referees, in the, I see him, in the, and I'm like, who's got a hold of me? I, I don't, this isn't part of the story, you know? And it dawned on me, this has got to be a fan. And, and, and the cops didn't respond immediately because I, I think they thought it was part of the story. 
But at, when I started grabbing this, I think they at one point realized, and you'll see on the video, you'll see the cops roll in like kind of like the Keystone cops and grab this guy and pull him out. And, and, and from that point on, though, my, my antennas were up. My radar was up. And, and, and five more times I would have that happen where fans came over the barricade, came after me. Uh, five times against Rick, uh, one time against Magnum TA and, and in Norfolk, Virginia, kind of his hometown. So, yeah, you, you, yeah. So that, that was the intensity of how much the, 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 at the time the fans loved it. That's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. And, and, and that's actually, again, you know, a great segue into the next question. I was just going to ask you about the Great American Bash 1985. You wrestled Ric Flair for the NWA World Championship. Tremendous match. Um, I was wondering if you'd be able to tell us a bit about that experience. What was it like working with uh, with Rick? And, um, you know, I think you've gone on record as saying it's one of your favorite matches ever. So give us a bit of a, thoughts about your experience in that match. Yes. I mean, it, you know, the word, I guess the word surreal comes to mind looking back now. You know, at the time, you're just kind of caught up in it. And <clears throat> keep in mind for, for your viewers, for your listeners, I'm, I'm only now consider how I broke into the business with no experience, no training, no background. I get a crash course on the job training, so to speak. Fast forward only 13 months to almost to the day that I walked into Jim Crockett's office and I'm the main event at the, at the first ever great American bash against one of the most legendary guys now in the business, Ric Flair, in front of 25, 30, 35,000 people, right? To kind of paint the picture. Mm. And, and, and people have asked me about, you know, were you nervous? Well, I mean, who wouldn't have been, right? I mean, you know, again, <laughs> 13 months into this thing, I'm still green as green, as green can be. And, and kudos to Rick, recognizing that, knowing that, and, and I've said on record, you know, he can make a broomstick look good. He made Nikita Koloff look good with, you know, with, with, with li I would say, limited skills. I wasn't your high flyer. I wasn't jumping off ropes. And, you know, I was the ground game, right? I was on my feet and the strongman persona. So I, I wasn't going to do a whole lot of bumps and fancy wrestling moves. That just wasn't my character or who I was. And so, you know, kudos to Rick for, for, really honestly taking care of me that night and, 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 and for the fans who, who really bought into the storyline. I mean, we had not even, we had, I, we had one pull apart, I think prior to that, uh, the, that match where we hadn't even really touched each other until that night. And, and so all the story leading up to that with the dungeon scenes and how I was going to take the gold and go back to Moscow. And it was a great storyline. We already had the world tag belts. We had the world six man championship. And now the Russian nightmare was going after the, the, the singles title. And, and so I look back at that with kind of a surreal kind of moment. Now him flying in on the helicopter, me standing in that ring, jacked up, ready to go. And, and yeah, just, just great memories of that night. What a great moment and a great, you know, great visual. I mean, as you just said, as you just laid out for us, the whole package of the entire angle and story and match, the whole combination was just perfect. Um, <clears throat> and, it, you know, that definitely wasn't the only major show that you would end up being on during your, your career. And it said that, you know, during the, um, during the 80s heyday of professional wrestling, the schedules could be absolutely brutal some say even worse than the schedules they have today. Um, would you be able to speak a bit about the road schedule during the 80s heyday of Jim Crocker promotions and kind of what did an average week on the road look like for Nikita Koloff? Yeah, yeah, well, probably to, to, to the surprise perhaps of, of some of your listeners, yeah, the, the schedule today, it, there is apples and oranges in comparison. Let me just start with that. Um, to put in perspective, and in 1986, I had 454 matches. Wow. That's Whoa. Okay, so do the math on that. Yeah. So there's 365 <laughs> days in a year. In fact, somebody posted recently, I, I think on my, either my Twitter feed or my Instagram, they were saying, 
hey, you had a match against so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so all in the same night. It was like three matches in the same night. or And they're like, I hope you got three paydays. I go, yeah, hold your breath on that one, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You didn't get paid, you know, per, per match per night. You, you got paid per night, period. And, and and in those early days when Ivan and I and Don and, and later on Crusher Khrushchev, Barry Darso, uh, when we were traveling up and down the road, to put it in perspective, I don't know, you'll have to help me translate this into kilometers, but we were averaging about 2,000 to 2,500 miles a week in a car. Yeah, that's that's. What's that translate into kilometers? Two thousand miles. Do you know what's that? Uh, I'll, I'll Google it. I'll Google it. Here we go. All right. 2, so two thousand to twenty five hundred miles uh, a week. How? Whatever the three, kilometers are. Three thousand two hundred and eighteen kilometers. Wow. That's... So that was kind of an average week for us. <laughs> wow. And, yeah. and 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 we wrestled just. To, I mean, you could literally wrestle every night. You, you really could. Now I took, eventually I took strategic, I took a, a few days off here and there just to give me a break, give myself a break. But many of the guys, most of the guys like, like Rick Flair probably wrestled every night for oh, who knows how many years or, 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 or right near it. So all that to say our work schedule. And then when we went on the Superstation WTBS, then we started flying but that just increased our travel. That didn't decrease our travel. Yeah. That increased. At one point on all the air, I had a million, over a million freaking flyer miles, like for real, uh, between all the different airlines. And so we'd fly into a town, say Detroit, Michigan, and we'd wrestle one night in Saginaw, another night in Lansing, another night in Battle Creek, and then end up in Detroit wrestling, and then fly, fly home, for a whole series of towns and nights and yeah it it was pretty uh it was pretty intense back in those days it wasn't a pay-per-view here or there you know a few house shows a month it was a house show all the time i mean yeah and one last thought jim crockett had two crews two teams so like for example i remember on monday nights fayetteville north carolina and Greenville, South Carolina, ran almost every single week. Yep. And so you you almost kind of knew you you would probably be in one or one or the other of those towns uh, on Monday night, for example. And so, yeah, very very intense schedule back in those days, and and the money didn't translate. You know, I mean, yeah. they make millions of dollars from pay per view and all that now, whereas back in those days. I mean, some of the crowds were pretty thin and before contracts or any of that, we, we got paid based on the number of people in the building is how we got paid. Yeah. And I mean, it's not only that as well, if you don't wrestle, you know, you don't get paid. Um, you know, if you're injured and you can't wrestle that you don't get paid. So there's also this, um, you know, added pressure to it of like, okay, I also can't afford to get hurt and I can't afford to miss this spot uh, shot because I'm sick. And um, yeah, so I, I can't only imagine it, a full-time job, really um, a full-time job back then to be on the road the way that you guys were. And it's, it's, it's just kind of boggles my mind thinking about it today, but uh, over to you, Carl. Yeah, man. Um, so I, Nikita, I wanted to kind of fast forward things a little bit here. This is something that I was intrigued about. I'm sure you've answered this many times, but uh, you retired in, you know, around 1992, 1993. Um, and you're a very rare case of somebody that literally retired and stayed retired and did not have another match again. Um, in the ensuing years afterward, did you ever get the itch to perform again? Did you ever see something and think to yourself, oh, I kind of miss going out there in front of the people and, and having that uh, adrenaline rush, uh, which I know a lot of wrestlers have a hard time letting go of when they're supposed to be leaving the business. Um, so I just wanted to see what your thoughts were about that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Another, another great question. I mean, and, and it's not just wrestling, right? I mean, I think athletes in general, and that, and as in my childhood, that was always kind of a, that always kind of got under my skin in, in, in a sense of I'm like, 
why can't these guys retire, number one, and, and or like you said, stay retired, right? Um, and so I determined in my childhood, now back then, I, I felt like I was going to play professional football. It wasn't professional wrestling. But I had already determined when I make it, I, I'm going to walk away on top of the game. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to hang. I, I want to leave. You know, I've been coined in a sense. You know, you guys, some of your listeners may understand this. I've been coined by some the Barry Sanders of pro wrestling. Okay, by that meaning, Barry Sanders was a, a standout superstar running back for the Detroit Lions. And Barry walked away at, at I think at age 29, could have easily ran another three, four, five years in the NFL, but chose to walk away. Wayne Gretzky in hockey, right? Uh, so there are a, a, a very rare amount of guys who, who did walk away uh, under their own terms and, and stay retired. So that I, I kind of embraced that. And so I told Don and Ivan when I broke in, I go, hey, I'll be out of active wrestling by the time I'm 35. And, you know, we went back and forth for a couple of weeks. Ah, oh, you know, get your blood like you're saying. Oh, get your blood. You'll, you'll get so tagged on, you know, to, to the adrenaline rush and all that. I'm like, I'm just saying, you know. So I really was ahead of, uh, really, I was 33, getting ready to turn 34 when I made that decision. So I was even a bit ahead of schedule, my own schedule, but to to more specifically to your question, to your point, uh, you know, have I ever missed it? I mean, I, I've, the answer would be no. I, I, I have no regrets for walking away when I did and doing what I did, while at the same time, I knew I wouldn't completely leave wrestling as a whole. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing legends autograph signings, right? Um, I, I'm working with, with Alexander and Neil right now and, and, and out there and, you know, in the independent world. So I've, I've always been still connected to the wrestling world and to the fans now through Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and social media. So, so I knew I would stay connected to, to professional wrestling, but I also knew I wouldn't be active in the ring. And I, I feel like being around the fans at signings, going to some, some live wrestling shows and interacting with the fans, if you want to say is enough of a, a, a rush, an adrenaline rush for me without having to get back in the ring and have a match and, and damage my body further than it already is. Mm. Hope that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I get that. Um, so, and another question I had, I just wanted to see what your thoughts were on this because uh, nine years after your retirement, the WWF buys WCW. I just wanted to know how you felt when you found out that all those years later. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, so when I walked away, I didn't... For a period of time there, I, 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 I did disconnect with, with a lot of the guys, didn't see them for, for a period of years. Uh, I, I'd eventually reconnect with some staying Lex Luger uh, and, and, and some of the guys. And, and I guess I was, if you want to say, kind of sad to hear that, that WCW folded. Um, you know, you can point fingers in every direction and as to whose fault that was. And, and that's, you know, you can discuss that from now till, till, till eternity, but the reality is it, it folded. Right. And, 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 and Vince bought everything up. And, and, and so I was a little disheartened to, to, to hear that. Cause I, I just feel, you know, co I feel competition is healthy and competition is good. You know, hence the Monday night wars, right. I mean, yeah. that's what really drove the ratings was the Monday Night War. So I wasn't thrilled to hear that really kind of one organization was going to really kind of have a... Um, monopoly. You know, the, yeah. uh, a monopoly. Great word. A monopoly on the, on the whole business. And so, you know, when TNA, you know, uh, launched, I was happy to appear on a few of their shows to try to help them get their footing uh, when when Billy Corgan and launched NWA Power, and I was happy to go down and 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 you know you know to uh, to to be a, a, on one of the shows and, and just be a part of that, introducing you know some of the belts of the Crockett Cup tournament. The and 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 because I just think competition's healthy and competition's good, and 
and and it creates greater opportunity for all the boys, right? Because if you don't just you know one one organization can say yay or nay, well then you got other options and other places you can go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I think if there anything's hurt the wrestling business uh, to the highest degree you know since then it's been because of wwe having that monopoly i think it really has hurt it um even though there have been other companies that have come along still it still was hurt it. and um you mentioned tna and i found this to be very fascinating um this, this thing that you did with them for a few shows uh you're mr wrestling for uh, attacking Dusty Rhodes. Uh, it must have been fun to get out there and throw a working punch again. Uh, tell me a little bit about that experience getting out there again and throwing a throwing a fist Dusty's way. Uh, <laughs> must have been a ball. Well, and, and again, you know, and, and Jeff Jarrett at the time, he says, he goes, come on, come on, you know, you know sign on with us. Come on. And I'm like, Jeff, I, I'm done. I'm done in the ring. Oh, he goes, we'll put you a part of six mans. You can stand on the apron. I'm like, ah, the Russian nightmare is not going to stand on the apron, look like a moron and do nothing. I mean, yeah. if I'm going to stand on the apron, I'm going to get in the ring. And so I'm like, Jeff, I'm honored, you know, that, that you want me a part of, you know, actively a part of the organization, but I'm just honored just to help you guys get off the ground and, and do this little angle and with Dusty and, and so, yeah, it was fun. It was a fun memory. You know, this ultimately the superpowers, you know, kind of, if you will, kind of kissing and making up, right? And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, just to have that memory was fun. Yeah, no, that's cool, man. And you know what? If I was in Jeff Jarrett's shoes as well, I'd be like, come on, come on, Nikita, come on. Let's just, just, just do a six, man. Come on. I, I totally get yeah. why he would do that. And I'm sure he yep. sold it to the lengths of the earth to you. So, <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> Over to you, DJ. Yeah. So it, it seems like you're, you know, you're, you, you're very comfortable with obviously how your career turned out in wrestling and everything else. And, that's great to hear because as we just discussed, that doesn't always happen, unfortunately, for everyone that gets into the wrestling business. Um, but are there any regrets that you have from your wrestling career? Wow, great question. Um, really, if I think about it, I mean, honestly, no. Um, there's a few guys that would have loved to, you know, maybe have stepped into the ring with Shawn Michaels, uh, yeah. You know, uh, Triple H, I mean, you know, The Rock. I mean, there, there's a few guys. Hogan, I mean, it would have been fun. You know, Macho Man. There, there would have been a uh, – there's some guys there. It would have been fun. I mean, obviously, they they jumped ship, and you know, if you will, and, and came into the NWA, NWO, and, you know, uh, you know, uh, just a few years after, you know, one by one, they started coming in right after I had, uh, I had retired. Um, it, it would have been fun, to, uh, I think, to, you know, to, to have squared up in the squared circle – uh, with with some of those guys, mm. I, I don't really regret that I wasn't there to do that. I just look back with fond memories and, and think of you know what what could have been had I been a you know a part of that, a part of the NWO. But but again, no regrets in, in making the decision I did and, and, and walking away uh, from that. I look back on my career with with nothing but really fond memories, you know. And uh, the NWA, I think, two thousand eight in, inducted me into their Hall of Fame. Uh, Dan Gable up in Waterloo, Iowa, uh, in, inducted me in, into their Hall of Fame up in Waterloo. Uh, and, and so I've been honored to be a, a part of a couple of those and, and, and just grateful for, for the career I had. All the guys I got stepped in the ring with, right, from, from Rick Rude to, to the Stinger to, to Stone Cold to Mean Mark Callis. Anybody know who that is? Mean Mark yeah, Callis? Of course, The Undertaker. The Undertaker. Um, yeah, you know, so some of these guys, Cactus Jack, uh, you know, Mankind, so Rock and Roll Express, Midnight Express, just kind of go down the list of guys. Yeah, man. Wahoo McDaniel, Rufus R. Freight Train Jones, I'm going back a little bit now, Johnny Weaver, I mean, some legendary guys. And and so, you know, the, the time I had against Dusty, the time I had as the superpowers with Dusty, the war games, there's so much, I mean, we could talk about, I know we're starting to run out of time here maybe, yeah. maybe you'll have me back on sometime but um, <laughs> uh, but so many fond memories that that honestly really no regrets 
Yeah, absolutely, is, man. Absolutely. Excellent to hear that as well. That's, that's really good to hear. Um, and uh, back over to you, Carl. Yeah, man. Uh, well, you know what? And I want to throw this out there. I know that you wrestled me, Mark Callis, but for me, a, a dream match would have been somewhere in the 90s, you know, maybe later on the 90s to see The Undertaker, not me, Mark Callis, but The Undertaker and The Russian Nightmare. That would have been something, I'm telling you right now. They, uh, they, they, they love putting the big guys with Undertakers, so. Yeah, and, and I think we would have had some good, we would have some good chemistry. And if you want to talk, talk the 80s, of course, you know, the magazines and everybody built up the Russian Nightmare and Hulk Hogan. Uh, yeah. So really that between, yeah, in the 80s, Hulk Hogan and the 90s, The Undertaker. That, that would have made for, I think, uh, a couple really good matches. Yeah, so, a lot of money. Yeah, not, not <laughs> yeah. It probably would have been a, a decent payday, too. Yeah. yeah. Nice chunk of change from that piece of business. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. Um, so that I do have one final segment that we that we do in this show. Uh, but before we get there, I just wanted to give you the opportunity to plug anything and everything that you are doing these days. The the new Koloff uh, dynasty that's going on, everything that's going on in Nikita Koloff's life. Tell the fans out there what's going on. Well, and I appreciate it. And again, I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, the, the we'll see how, I'm curious to see if, how Koloff Dynasty gets some traction with Alexander and, and Neil. And, you know, right now on the independent independent circuit and and hopefully, you know, uh, e, uh, AEW or, 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 or uh, you know, one of the other, you know, Ring of Honor, or, you know, one of the other organizations yeah. may have an interest. And, you know, we're hopeful. We'll, we'll just see where, where that might go. Um, so excited about that. Um, People can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Nikita Koloff with the number one behind it uh, is how they can follow me presently. Facebook. If you're looking for me on Facebook, there's, there's, there are, believe it or not, there's some imposters out there. Yeah. But uh, yeah. uh, the real me on Facebook, look for, look for a, there's a picture in a river. And it's actually the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, myself, a guy named Jason Sanderson. We're actually in the Jordan River in Israel, we're baptizing each other in the Jordan River. That's the real me on Facebook. Um, you know, the, I spent the last 27 years since leaving wrestling, traveling the world now to 30 different countries. Um, I, I've been in, gosh, who knows how many different churches and, and evangelizing and ministering. Lex Luger and I, you see the shirt here, Man Camp. That's a, that's a, that's a ministry that Lex Luger and I co-facilitate. We do these camps for men, this catalyst. We bring men in, a small group, uh, intimate group, and really just pour into these men, him and I, uh, to be healthy, you know, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically healthy. We just take all of our years of experience, mancamp.info, for men who maybe want to learn more about that, mancamp.info. Um, got a couple books out there, Wrestling with Success, uh, Nikita, a tale, of the ring and redemption. We've, we've added some new chapters to, to that book. And, and so excited about it. And I'm working on a brand new book. It'll hopefully it'll come out in 2021 launched, as I said, a radio show called it's time to man up, uh, as well as a podcast. And just recently, as I mentioned, uh, another show that coincide with that questions and answers with Koloff. And so I've been encouraging the fans. I'm like, man, go, go to koloff.org, koloff.org, and, and man, email me your questions. And then what I'm doing, for those who are available, I call them directly and, and interview them uh, on, on the show. And, and I'm creating this show, Questions and Answers with Koloff, where I interact directly with the fan and, and answer their questions. So I just encourage all of your listeners, you know, man, shoot me a question. If you're not available, I'm still gonna put you on the show and, and, and address and answer your questions. So you'll still be on the show. You just may not get a live phone call from Nikita, but those are just some of the things I'm doing, guys. Some of the yeah. things. <laughs> Keep them busy, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I am, I am. And look, one last little side note. Um, and, you know, the ministry, as you guys know, I'm sure, and, and many, uh, many of viewers and listeners will probably know, you know, the, the main thing I do right now, I, I mean, I love wrestling, love the fans, love engaging with the fans. And I engage with a lot of fans when I'm out there doing ministries, you know, speaking in churches and doing conferences and camps. The fans are everywhere. 
and, and I just love it. And I'm looking forward one day to coming down under, just so you know. Well, I was going to say, you said 30 countries, and I'm like, I don't know who should be 31. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. I'm just waiting on that invitation, and I'm going to be down under, maybe meet you guys face-to-face -face there in Perth. Absolutely, mate. And I've said this to many people, we will cook you a good old-fashioned Aussie barbecue. <laughs> I love barbecue. I love barbecue. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so, Nikita, we have one final segment. It's called Five Second Frenzy. It's just quick fire. I ask you your favorite this or favorite that, and you tell me what it is. There's 10 of them. And uh, are you ready? You've got five seconds to answer each question. So it's pretty tough. A lot of wrestlers no need five. No pressure. A lot of wrestlers <laughs> need more than five seconds to answer things. So let's do uh, it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, your favorite wrestler? Ivan Koloff. Favorite opponent? The Road Warriors. The favorite match you've ever had? Rick Flair, Great American Bash, 1985. Well done. Your favorite book? Ooh, the Bible. I knew that was going to be the answer. I knew that one. <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite TV show? Ooh. Oh, man, that's a harder one. Um, the Wonder Years. Oh, awesome yeah, choice. Good, awesome it's a choice. good show. And by the way, if you don't make the five seconds, you won't get penalized. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> your favorite film? Ooh, we just talked about this the other night. Rem remember the Titans. Yes, Ooh. that movie always oh. makes me cry. It always makes Inspirational, me cry. motivational. Yes, if that yes. doesn't touch your heart, you don't have one. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I, I've seen it like five times. <laughs> I think I've, I've seen it like about, 20. About, about 15, 20 times. Yeah. <laughs> I might end up watching it after this. Um, yeah. <laughs> your favorite musical artist? Ooh. Um, gosh, there's there's a lot. A, a, gal, a gal by the name of, of Misty Edwards. Okay, I'll have to check her out. Um, your favorite food? Chicken. Mm. Nice, nice. Yeah. We'll, we'll barbecue you some chicken when you come back. Barbecue some chicken for me, yes. <laughs> uh, your I'm favorite place to eat on the road? Ooh, just a really good steakhouse. Nice, yeah. nice, nice. Um, okay, look, I don't know if you're a, a drinker. Um, the question is supposed to be your favorite alcoholic beverage, but if you don't drink, just any beverage in general. Well, it's it's great. Like, I, I haven't had a drop of alcohol since uh, October 17, 1993, when I gave my life to the Lord. Not because I don't feel I can't, it's just because I have no desire to, right? Yeah. So believe it or not, 99.9% .9 of the time, I drink water. Uh, mm. That's like all I drink. Is that I drink? H2O, man, a lot of water. Yeah, you know yeah. what? Water is so underrated, and I wish people would stop saying that it's boring because it's it's not <laughs> well, you boring. Can flavor it. You can flavor <laughs> it, right? So. <laughs> Okay, uh, so the second last one. Now, look, this one's kind of designed as like it's a naughty question, but you know, being that you're a man of the of the Lord, uh, I don't expect certain answers that other wrestlers have given. But we have had some interesting <laughs> right. answers. Okay, it's favorite female body part. Um, the 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 figure of a woman, just the mm. shape of a woman. Yeah, the curves. Yeah, the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. All you got to do is that, and yeah. we know exactly what you're talking about. We got it. We're onto it. Yeah, my girlfriend right. has that. So, uh, <laughs> and uh, another one, the final one, and I know that you're not going to have an answer for this one, but maybe you surprise me. Well, yeah, no, we'll see. It's your favorite curse word. My favorite curse word. Well, back in the day, right. Back in the day, you know, it wasn't uncommon for me to drop an F-bomb back in the day. Okay. So, you know, I, I, I don't do it anymore, but but back in the day, you know, uh, as with all of us, nobody's perfect. And, and so, you know, back in the day, uh, the, the F-bomb would, would have been a word to throw out there at somebody. <laughs> and I'm sure you learned it in Russian as well. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I needed, I should have learned it in Russian. That would have been better. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We've just hit an hour now with you, Nikita Koloff. Uh, DJ, if you want to have the chance to say your final words to Nikita before we let him go. Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to say it has been my absolute pleasure to chat with you and uh, spend a bit of time talking about your career. And yeah, I just want to thank you for your time and yeah, let you know how much fun I had doing this interview. Well, DJ, Carl, I really pre appreciate the opportunity. I really do. I was excited when I to find out, you know, hey, get through this interview with some guys out, you know, down under. And, and, and so it's been a treat for me. And now you guys ask some great questions. You know, a lot of times you get a lot of the same questions, uh, but you guys do some really great questions out there and, you know, look forward to, uh, you know, one day, like I said, who knows, maybe our cross will pass, you know, face to face and, you know, get to meet you in person. And I just say thanks for the time today. And, and thank you for allowing me to share some of my story and especially what I'm doing now, you know, with, with the camps, with Lex and, and the ministry and all the things I'm doing now. And, and so I just appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you very much, Nikita. And after I sign off the show, I just want to ask you one last thing off the air. Um, so stay on and um, then we'll let you go. Okay. So thank to you all again. all the fans out there, the Russian nightmare, Nikita Korov, want to say thank you and thank Carl. And thank DJ for putting the show together. Amazing. Thank oh, you very thank much you. to you, Nikita Koloff. Uh, and I just want to say, you should be so proud of everything you did in the wrestling business, but everything you've done afterward, you're impacting people's lives. You're doing a great thing. So thank you. And this planet is, is, is a better place because you have been on it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And thank you, everyone out there, for watching the WZWA Network. I'm California Inferior, alongside my co-host, DJ, and our new friend, Nikita Koloff. And we will see you guys next time. Thank you.